Good evening. Everybody hear me okay? Very good. I appreciate you all coming out. It's just a gathering of friends. I know pretty much all you folks here. I just, I know this is going to be a big party here. I would have uh, baked a cake. I appreciate you coming. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Stokesbury. My wife is Patricia. She's sitting down there. We've been married for 42 years, 35 of which of those we've been members here at St. Louis Mills. So we've, uh, we've been here a while. Enough time for our hair to change color. And I guess they would like me to share my story, my journey down the path so far, and uh, hopefully there'll be something in for everybody. Since my teens, I've always felt that the Lord has given me an excellent set of life tools, the ability to understand concepts, the ability to reason, and the ability to communicate, I hope. As with most young eagles, I first had to try out my wings on my own. I had the abilities, I must have the skills. After bashing my beak a few times, I became frustrated and I decided that it might be easier to walk instead of fly where I wanted to go or just not go at all. For a while, church became one of the latter. I just quit going. I had no big crisis in faith. I still considered myself a Catholic. My crisis was lack of ambition. Although the path of least resistance, it was also the path of least reward. My battles were mostly internal as I fought with a feeling of spiritual emptiness and a feeling that I was wasting the gifts that God had given me. The Lord blessed us with five children. First four daughters, Aaron, Shannon, who you just met, Bevan and Megan, and then a son, John. Although I love my daughters dearly, a man needs a son, and I got a good one. John was very personable. He had a sharp mind and a quick wit, and he was just a fun guy to hang out with. He shared my great affection for baseball. We collected ball cards together. We attended many a sports memorabilia show in pursuit of an autographed ball and eight by 10 picture of each of the Cy Young Award winners. We took many a bus trip to major league games around the Midwest and even attended the, even attended the Society for American Baseball Research National Convention the year it was in St. Louis. And I helped coach his t-ball team. What a wonderful collection of experiences that was. I recall about halfway through his last season, he decided he wanted a real baseball glove. We went shopping around and he found one that he liked to the tune of about 75 bucks. A rather princely sum for a uh, ball glove for a child or an adult 25 years ago. Kids, as do many adults, have a hard time judging where pop flies are gonna come down. We worked on that as I taught him to keep his eye on the ball. We decided it would be a fair challenge for John to catch a pop-up in a game to earn his new glove. Many of the coaches on the team knew about this arrangement and we all waited for an opportunity for John to bring it to fruition. When the time came, still wearing the little kid glove he had, he squeezed it like a pro as one of the other coaches looked over to me and said, that'll cost you. In his last game of an up to then undefeated season, 
in the bottom of the fifth inning, they only played five innings, behind one run with two outs and two men on base, John hit a double to drive home the tying and go-ahead run that won the game and preserved the perfect season. I still have the game ball, which I had lettered by a uh, sign painter friend of mine. We also had great fun with scouting, starting as a little tiger cub, working his way through the ranks of cub scouting, to pursuing merit badges of boy scouting on his way to the rank of Eagle Scout. John and I had many enjoyable and informative experiences. These were the days when fathers and sons could work on merit badges together. I decided early on that I was going to make the activities necessary to attain each merit badge as real as possible could be. I wanted us to perform the requirements in a manner beyond the minimum cited in his handbook. For example, I attended college with a then young man named Jonathan Buffalo, who later became the medicine man of the Meskwaki tribe. Hence, when it came time to work on the Indian lore merit badge, we went to the reservation and worked on, with, worked on it with Jonathan to learn the real deal. As you can imagine by these and so many more stories I could tell you, John and I were very close. So, unless you've experienced it yourself, you can only begin to imagine the depth and the shock of what I then considered his untimely death, trying to cross a busy street on his bicycle a few months before his 12th birthday. Besides dealing with a day-to-day -day battle for spiritual and intellectual survival, an internal war that continues to rage 23 years later, I was compelled to ask myself what I really believed. What did I really believe? Many of the concepts we embrace at an ideological level take on a much deeper meaning when one is forced to deal with them on a practical level. When the events of life and death follow a natural course, it has been my experience that these considerations are not as acute. But when these events suddenly veer off course and you're fighting to maintain your own sanity while trying to be strong and comfort to those close to you that are also emotional casualties of the same wreck, what used to be regular respiration becomes gasping for air. The heaviness that has landed on your heart borders on the indescribable. The natural instinct to look around for something to grab onto before the weight pulls you under for the third time. A great service was gifted me by the father of one of our daughter's friends whom I used to stand with as we watched girls play in the various sporting events throughout the school year. Previously, unbeknownst to me, he had lost his first wife in childbirth. Six years later, he lost the son that she had died delivering. What a double shot of tragedy. The day after John's death, he came to our house and he told me of his loss. He also said that he tried drinking and drugging and some of the other traditional ways of escaping an unwanted reality. And most important, that they didn't work. And then he told me one of the most important things anyone offered at the time. He told me the pain will always be there. But if I hung in there over time, I would get a little better at living with it. That day, when my life seemed shattered beyond repair, he gave me hope. Not happily ever after hope, but survival hope. 
the feeling that however faint, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I can get there. But how? How do I get to the light? I went around and around a few, for a few times before I realized that was what my faith was for. Faith. Faith that God has a plan. Faith that everything happens for a reason. Faith that within his plan, when your time is up, your time is up. Faith that there is a heaven. Faith that our son and the rest of our dearly departed are there watching over and waiting for us. Faith that I've been given the tools to attain that final reward if I choose to use them. And faith that he will never give me a load heavier than I can carry. This is the Catholic faith. This is my faith, and this is the faith that I hope we all share. I'd been attending Mass and receiving the sacraments regularly, and church started to feel very comfortable. Although a member of St. Lude's, as I mentioned earlier, it was Immaculate Conception and the memories of my early childhood that brought me the most comfort at the time. It became my favorite place to hang out to the point where I was attending Mass and saying the Rosary daily. While all this activity was proving to irrigate my somewhat arid soul, the question that had been gnawing at me since my teen years returned. I kept asking myself what God wanted me to do with this great set of tools he'd given me. I asked, and I asked, and I asked. Although aimed in the right direction, my approach had three major flaws. First, I assumed that I already knew the answer, and I just had to pose the question often enough until it became self-evident. Or, in simpler terms, I was asking the wrong guy. Second, after figuring out the first problem, I was asking so hard and so often that I wasn't listening for the answer. And third, once the answer started coming, my environment, both internal and external, was so loud that I had about as much of a chance of hearing them as I would of hearing a whisper in the middle of a brass band. Upon review, learning to listen has three essential elements. When to listen, where to listen, and how to listen. Isn't it amazing how many things come in threes in our, uh, tri in our religion? Our triune God, lots of threes. When to listen is any time that you can isolate yourself from the cacophony. I worked on that word, I've been on and off for like a month. Okay, cacophony. It's a good word, though, isn't it? Cacophony. I like that one. Anytime you can isolate yourself from the cacophony of sound that seems to surround our lives. I found externally that can be accomplished by rolling up a window, closing a door, taking a walk. Or an opposite approach can work just as well if you find yourself in a situation where the rattle is humming at such a high and varied level that it becomes white noise, and while you hear it all, you don't specifically hear any of it. Sometimes that's a little trickier to make work, but it's worth a try if you can't find quiet. Where to listen is any place that you can. Some of my favorite places to listen all seem to evolve around porcelain, the restroom, the shower. 
For me, the car is also an excellent place. Of course, the top of the list has got to be church. And the absolute best place for me is the Eucharistic Chapel at St. Patrick's with the Holy Presence exposed. This is the main line straight to the top. There's so much talk today about investing and planning for the future. The best investment any of us can make is an hour or two each week in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Speak with the Lord plainly, like you would a close friend, or like I'm kind of trying to do with you guys, as he is your best friend, and, you'll t and tell him what's on your mind. How to listen is the best part, and hence why I saved her for last. If you really want to hear the word of God, really want to get the message, really want to make a direct connection, pray the rosary. With our blessed mother as intercessor and telephone operator, there is no better way, no straighter line, no clearer individual communication with our Lord than through the prayers of the rosary. I don't need to recite the number of times we've been given that message. Although as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of our Blessed Mother's appearances at Fatima, I will recap an oft-repeated portion of her message. Pray the rosary, pray the rosary, and pray the rosary. And I say more. I listened and I like what I heard. And you too, if you'll make the effort, can listen and hear. It really is good news. I found that praying the rosary is even more pleasurable and fulfilling if you personalize your approach. In baseball, they call it hitting for the cycle. A single, a double, a triple, and a home run, all in one game. My hitting for the cycle with the rosary is praying the four sets of mysteries all in one day. Personalizing each rosary has also made them more meaningful for me. I start my day with the joyful mysteries and pray one decade for each of those one decade for each of our four daughters and the fifth decade for our two grandchildren. I pray all five of the glorious mysteries for my wife, Pat, and her various roles in my life. The sorrowful mysteries I pray during the night, dedicating one each to my mother, my father, my maternal grandparents, my paternal grandparents, and the fifth mystery to our son, John. I say the luminous mysteries for a special intention or need each day. I think back regretfully on all of the situations and opportunities that have presented themselves in the past that I did not have the perception to recognize. Now armed with my lessons and listening from the Lord, I have received three missions. I feel I've been directed to proceed on. In response to all the tensions, violence, and disregard for the value of human life throughout the world, the Lord has told me to pray for peace. Our Blessed Mother has made it very clear that the best way to pray for peace is to pray the rosary. Hence, I believe the best way I can fulfill this mission is to make sure that there is a rosary being prayed before every scheduled mass in the Cedar Rapids Deanery. Tidy up your own backyard first, you know. I've started with my home parish here at St. Ludmilla's and hope to expand throughout the rest of the deanery where there is a need with the help of the Knights of Columbus. Helping members of our armed forces to pursue peace via prayer is my second mission. With the assistance of a few friends I call the Rosary Gang, we have acquired 100 Fatima 100th Anniversary Rosaries and 100 copies of de Montfort's book, 
the secret in the rosary. We've also started petitioning the parishes throughout the deanery to provide, to provide us with a list of soldiers on active duty from their congregation that we might send one of each to sing. Surprisingly, many parishes don't have such a list. I believe a secondary aspect of this mission has emerged in compelling parishes to compile that list, not only for our ends, but also that they might be praying together for their own soldiers and their safe return home. But there are so many missions to be addressed, so much hard work to do, and so many souls to be saved. The Lord has told me to seek out and share inspiration with those shouldering the load. To that end, I've attempted to organize the Modern Saints Book Club. There's great, there's great inspiration, motivation, and dedication to be found in reading about the lives of reasonably contemporary saints and those under consideration for canonization. Maximilian Kolbe, Miguel Pro, Emil Capon, these are just a few of the lives we've examined and found to be highly compelling. I've also been fortunate to find a movie or documentary to accompany the reading of these biographies. On the first two missions, I could use your help, leading to find or helping to find rosary leaders to pray for peace to our Lord through our Blessed Mother and helping to compile the names and mailing addresses of those of our flock on active military service. And on the third mission, I would invite you to join us and participate in reading and discussing the biographies and watching the movies about the inspirational lives that have been led in modern times. We all have crises, some more dire than others, to deal with in life. I was fortunate, I was given hope, which compelled me to pursue faith, or I learned to listen to God's word, the good news, the pursuit of which gave my life new purpose and the answers to questions I've been laboring with most of my adult life. The gift is available to all of you. Surrender the burden to the Lord, surrender your burden to the Lord and take up his. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves for my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my tale of threes here. I hope there was something in it for you. I hope that you come with me on my missions to pursue the Lord. And I pray most of all that you take time to listen and hear what he has in mind for you. You'll find the experience both enlightening and very, very comforting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate your consideration.